This is a Color Pencil Podcast, session number 240. I'm so excited to be talking this week to my friend, Carrie Lewis. Now, if you're not familiar with Carrie, you're in for a real treat, and I can't wait for you to get to know her a little bit in this interview today. She is such a talented artist and very giving person. She has supplied us, uh, if you're listening to the show today, all you need to do is go to the show notes and download this Six Common Colored Pencil Mistakes workbook that Carrie Lewis has written. That workbook is totally free, not even an email opt-in to grab that. So go take advantage of that. Also, while you're there, she has a special discount coupon code specifically for the Colored Pencil Podcast listeners. Now, this coupon gives you $75 off the regular price of her Colored Pencil course. So go check that out as well. Exciting, exciting stuff. So let's get to the interview right now. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a Colored Pencil Podcast. Weekly discussions in and around this medium that we love so much. My name is John Middick of SharpenedArtist.com, and this is the Colored Pencil Podcast. I am your host, and today I've got a special treat for you. I've been wanting to have this particular guest on for a long time. This is Carrie Lewis. Carrie, say hello. How are you? Hello. How are you? <laughs> got a real character here. Uh, all right. So, Carrie and I, we, we've been friends for quite a while now, and she is a prolific uh, colored pencil artist. She blogs about colored pencil. She has an active newsletter about colored pencil. She just started something brand new and she's about to do something this month. Is it Carrie? February. February that she's never done before. So we'll talk about that in a little while. But first we want to rewind. We want to go all the way back to the beginning. And what, so explain to me what got you started in colored pencil? In colored pencil. Um, well, I feel like I need to go a lot further back than that Let's and say, say that I have been drawing since I, well, I don't remember the first thing I drew. My mom used to cut open the, the brown paper grocery sacks and let me draw on them with crayons. Oh, cool. The very first drawing I have is a crayon drawing on the bottom of a dresser drawer, which didn't go over very well, <laughs> needless to say. But... I, Pretty much, I've been doing drawing all my life. Um, I got it started professionally um, in my teens doing an oil painting for a neighbor who had a horse. And that pretty much got me started in the portrait work. I did portrait work in oils for about 30 or 40 years and started going to horse shows to show my work, which, you know, that's art shows are okay, but you really need to go someplace where your target audience is. That's right. And That's my, such a good lesson right there, isn't it? I mean, you my, go where the yep. customers are. If you're wanting to sell horse art, go where people are that love horses, right? And where the horses are so you can yeah. take pictures. So <laughs> That's right. Well, the horses take, aren't going to buy the art, but the people are, right? <laughs> no, yes. And the best thing I got from going to horse shows were lots and lots of horse pictures. So, Oh, nice. Um, of course. Long story short, oil paintings, oils are not, you can travel with them and you can work with them on location, but it's not ideal. Um, I could pack my things so that I had a reasonable amount, you know, of supplies, colors, brushes, 
something to work on in a relatively small package. But what I discovered was that I was constantly worried about dirt. You had a horse show, right? In a barn. Oh, yeah. Uh, people brushing up against it, me brushing up against it, right. and then getting the whole thing home again without ruining it or getting pain all over everything. I needed something that I could do the same sort of work with, same sort of detail, and not have to worry about all the clutter and the dirt and the wet paint. Um, colored pencils were the perfect for that. Were perfect for that. Well, what what made you think of that though? I mean, what what was it that were you already familiar with colored pencils, or what? What was the I've, impetus that caused you to I go in that direction? I probably was already familiar with them. Um, I don't remember that specifically, other than to say pastels were not going to work. I had already tried oil pastels and didn't like them. I had never tried dry pastels, but what I knew about them was the same sort of dust and getting home without damaging the artwork and that sort of thing is just a different kind of damage. A different kind of problem than oils, but the, same kind of kind, but the same problem. Yes. It, yeah. And and more so because one bump on the back and there goes <laughs> a, a bunch of pigment. Right. Um, I think what eventually led me to colored pencils was, and this was would have been back in the earlier mid-90s, um, Prismacolor was widely available and they were inexpensive. Um, so I just bought a set and I don't even remember if it was, a, well, it probably was a full set back then, would have been what, 72 or 96 or something like that. Okay. And I started dabbling. And I I liked what I could do. I didn't care for the, the final result, but I've learned since then. I just wasn't finishing and I was stopping too soon. Not enough layers. Um, but they worked great at the horse shows. And even if all I did was have a piece in progress that I could make a few marks on during the course of the show, that did get people to stop at the booth and look at the other stuff I had. Um, so, and that was a plus, um, later after the portrait work dried up in the, oh gosh, five, 10 years ago, I started doing more colored pencil stuff. And the reason for that wasn't the medium so much as SEO on the website. I needed to find a niche that was not already well populated. And at that time, colored pencil was it. So I was already doing it. I had been doing it long enough to be proficient with it. And I had been blogging long enough to have enough followers who were also doing colored pencil to make that a really good fit for me. Is that on your own website mm -hmm. at the time? And that was uh, around 2010? Uh, let me see. I stopped. My last full-time job was in, I ended that, or it ended, I should say, August 2009. And I'd already been blogging about portrait work, but not seriously. At, and that to, was primarily with oils or both? Yes, oils. oils. And then I just started doing colored pencil too. And then eventually I dropped the portrait work and then eventually I dropped the oil painting work and started doing colored pencils and teaching. And I've been doing that, I think, dedicated for probably five years. And okay. that that's how I've gotten from where I was doing oil paintings for 30 or 40 years to where I am now mostly teaching. So the, the portraits, they were not, they were animal portraits. Is that right? Were yeah. they people? Oh portraits? yeah. I didn't say that. Uh, yes. Horse portraits. Mostly. Well, I did understand that though. Okay. I just want to be clear. Okay. Awesome. All right. I have done one human portrait and it was a big one in oils and it was, it was fun, but it was also a challenge and I was glad yeah. to see it out the door. 
<laughs> That's probably how I would be with a horse portrait. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you understand. Okay, so that that's very that's very interesting. So you 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 made a statement though. You said, and I may get this wrong, going off my memory here, but you said that you were going to these horse shows and doing that for. I better not try to quote you. How many years was that? Thirty or forty. Thirty or forty mm-hmm. before, and you started as a teen. I think I was sixteen or seventeen when I sold my first. Okay. One. Wow. All right. And so, did you think all along, like I am going to be an artist, even uh, through all this, I'm just going to be an artist? Um, I think so. Um, when I was in high school, early in high school, or maybe late junior high, up there it was junior high, seven to eight, and then high school, nine to twelve. I knew that I wanted to be an artist in that time frame. Um, so much so that I had no desire to go to college at all. Did you go to college? I went to college one semester at the age of 22, and it was in the fine arts degree, but I'd already been doing art so long that basically the art, the director of the department sat down with me and talked about what I should do. And he said, you're wasting your time here. The best I can do is double up some of the classes that most students have to take sequentially. He said, I can't give you credit for any of them without actually taking them. So he said, you'd be better off to go back home and do keep doing what you've been doing. So that's what I did. Interesting. Okay. Now, the thing that's interesting, though, to me as well is why, why did you – why did you not go into like, I don't know, a writing career um, in college, you know, like take English and writing and composition? I, I don't know. I'm just when I read uh, your blogs and everything you write, I mean, it's it's so easy to read. It's just it's written so well. Uh, and I mean, you've got a real gift for that. I'm sure you've been told that. And not everyone does, but they write anyway. I'm raising my hand here. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. I mean, I mean, sometimes I'll even offend people with some of the things that I've written. Like, <laughs> you are marketing too hard. They'll write me back and say, this, you are banging me over the head with this. Or you have <laughs> said something here that was offensive. Like, I didn't mean to. It's because I can't express myself through the written word. But you can do that. You're very good at that. So did you do anything um, like some of you, you mentioned you had a day job. Did you do anything with writing other than with your art? I'm just curious. Well, to me, writing has always been a hobby. I've, okay. for, up until 2009, I had to have a day job to pay bills. So that okay. was my, that was the big thing. Yeah. Art was the thing I was going to turn into a business. Right. And I turned art into a business then writing was going to take the place of art and be my hobby. That was the plan. Um, But I didn't, the only classes I took in writing were high school English, I think, and maybe a creative writing class. That's been a long time ago. I don't remember exactly what it was, but. So you've always been just journaling and writing for yourself. Well, journaling and writing novels. I've got seven finished novels, none of them published. Uh, one wow. is real. One is ready for a professional editor, but there's the time thing and the money thing. So wow, it's still okay. on the hard drive waiting. That's awesome. But I did work for a, a small business owner in my hometown that had um, a business that was support for other businesses, and she did things like resumes. She was pretty diversified. She did um, wedding announcements and okay. graduation stuff and all of that sort of thing. And I did some writing for her. Oh, very the cool. last 
the last job I had in Michigan was for the local county newspaper. And I was there for six years, I think. And I started out in pay stub so long ago. They were still doing pay stub. <laughs> but by the time I finished, I had also done typing. I had done some reporting. Okay. I did some uh, grip and grins, what they call grip and grins, when you meet, go and take a picture of two people shaking hands and like right. for a donation or something like that. Right. Um, I had covered some accidents. And some of our millennials probably won't even know what that is. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> some of the people my age probably won't know what that is. Um, and I'd also done graphic arts. So there was okay. a little bit of writing mixed in with that. But the interesting thing about that to me, and it's something I had totally forgotten about until earlier this week. In the 90s, I was a member of a group called the Equine Art Guild, which okay. was an international group of horse artists. Yeah. And there were a lot of, it was founded by a lady in Canada, Sherry Gordon. But there were a lot of Michigan members. So some of us got together and we did. Uh, we set up the Michigan Equine Artist Group, and it was a short-lived thing, but it was a lot of fun. We did shows together and things like that. Oh, cool. I also did a newsletter, and I was the editor of the newsletter. Nice. And Karen Baker Thumb, who lived in the – not close, but we were doing computer stuff back then, um, even then. <laughs> uh -huh. She was the art director. And I don't remember if we published monthly, bimonthly, or quarterly – but we had a lot of fun doing that, and we probably did it for three or four years, maybe not quite cool. that long. And I had totally forgotten about that and until just this week, as I said. So it's it's sort of like putting a train together where you start with the engine and you know, add a car here, right. a tank car there, and a box car, and an auto rack flat, and whatever. Pretty soon you have a train. That's sort of how I've gotten where I am now. I'm on this train, but it's been built up section by section over the years. If anyone told you back at 16 or 17, you would be doing what you did today, you probably wouldn't have believed it, right? <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to believe it because when I was 16 or 17, I was going to be a world-famous horse portrait artist. I was going to have a private jet. I was going to fly <laughs> all over the world to see horses and meet famous people while rich. I didn't care if they were famous or not. Well, you might have believed where you ended up, but you wouldn't have <laughs> believed the path, right? We'll put it right, that way. Right, yes. <laughs> so, okay, so you're in Michigan, and where are you now? Kansas. Okay. So, when, when did you move? Um, 2002. I got married and moved. So okay. Met my uh, husband, and he's always lived here, well, since he was four, I guess, which has been <laughs> quite a while. What part of Kansas? <laughs> Are you up in the north side or down? Uh, the town is Newton. We're about 35 miles north of Wichita. Okay. About, okay. about an hour out of Oklahoma, actually. So. Yeah, I know where it is. All righty. You're down there near the flatlands a little bit. Sort of, yeah. We're just east of the Flint Hills and just, no, just west of the Flint Hills and just east of the Gypsum Hills. So, so lots so, of beautiful scenery. So let's see. That's uh, what, 13, 15 hours from Michigan where you were? It's um, a long distance relationship, right? Yes, it was. Um, I'm thinking it's more like 12 or what did you say? 13 or 14 oh, I don't hours? Know. I was just guessing. <laughs> <laughs> it's more than 15. I think we can do it in one day. I, I failed uh, geometry. Put it that way. <laughs> I Somebody didn't, but it's joke. been a long Someone time. Someone got ago. that joke out there. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Dad jokes will start flying out here. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see then. All right. That's interesting. So, so you moved back where Neil lived 
and mm -hmm. back over here in Kansas. And uh, what happened then? What, what other, other than being married? I mean, what other big changes then happened? Well, the biggest change was that Neil let me be a full-time artist for a while. Um, so I was able to do everything I thought I wanted to do when I was working full-time, which is stay home and paint. Um, and I, we did that for probably 12 or 18 months. And it didn't take me very long to find out that I can't paint all day long. There's four or on a really good day, five hours, and there's a block wall that you hit. <laughs> and everything just stops. You got to take a break. You got to take a so break. That would be the biggest thing. The bit, that would have been the biggest change. And I went into it all like, you know what it was like to go into full-time art or all. I don't, I, I can't put words in it. And it's it, very different than what you think it's going to be. I'll put it that yes, way. Very different. It's not at all what I expected. And I didn't right. turn out as much work as I thought I would. And to be honest, most of it, I didn't. It, go ahead. I was. I was disappointed in the amount of work I could turn out. And Were you disappointed in yourself? Did you beat yourself up about that? What did you think? I don't remember doing that. Um, I do remember being disappointed in the type of work I was turning out because it all of a sudden started looking flat. And I don't know if it, if it was the change in circumstances or if I had just gotten to a point where I wanted more from my artwork. But you were doing colored pencil then? No, I was doing oil then. Still oils. Mm -hmm. Still mostly oil. I did a few colored pencil portraits during that time, but not very many. So the past five years or so has mm -hmm. been colored pencil. Yes. I put okay. my oils away. So for a few years ago. there, you were doing oils after marriage and you were mm -hmm. dedicated to it full time. And then you were, were you still going to shows then at that time? We did more shows during that time than yeah. I'd ever done before. You, you um, told me that. I'm sorry. Yes. That, okay. No, that's okay. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing when I moved to Michigan, all my Michigan, other Michigan artists asked me if I had any horses down here. Well, we're 35 miles from Wichita, the Kansas Coliseum, which was a big horse show place back then, <coughs> excuse me, had a show almost every week. Mm. We couldn't go to everyone, but we did attend a yeah. lot of them. <coughs> and the biggest show of the season, their horse trade show, you, I guess you'd call it, was at the Kansas Coliseum. And we hooked up with a horse owner from a nearby town and got invited to participate in their booth with them. Um, they had their stallion in one part of the area and they had a rented two stall spaces the other part was their office and they office so to speak they had me put they allowed me to put up artwork in that area oh, and wow. they 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 paid for it i don't recall that they charged us anything we had to buy our own admission tickets but that was a small price to pay for a three-day show with thousands yeah. of people going through nice so it yeah. was very nice and we did that two or three years i think oh wow very and cool. it was that was a it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. But I'm guessing you that afforded you the opportunity to meet a lot of people <laughs> and mm -hmm. to secure some commissions even after the show. I'm guessing that was that was the biggest benefit of doing the shows was yeah. the contacts. Um, right. I don't recall. Well, I was mostly portrait work, so I didn't have a whole lot of stuff to to sell. No merchandise, no cups, yeah. no reprodu reproductions or anything like that. It was all just artwork. 
And most of the artwork was already somebody else's portrait. So I was there to advertise portrait work. And I did get some of that. Not not as much as I have, would have hoped for. Yeah. I never came out of any of those shows with a full calendar or anything. But lots of exposure and lots of contacts made and the opportunity to take pictures of horses. So I was happy. Oh, that's cool. More material than going More forward. material. More reference material. Very cool. Okay, so then when you so were you blogging the whole time when you were yes. doing even the oils? Okay. Yes. And primarily <laughs> on your own platform? You also blog on another platform as well, don't you? Um, I freelance right for emptyeasel.com. Okay. Um, that started out with one article a month and it wasn't very long before he started taking two and for a while he took he would publish almost as much as I could give. That slowed down a little bit, but I did. I was always blogging on my own. Usually, so he who? Who, who was? Oh, um, Dan Durkoop, I think is how you would pronounce it. D U H R K O O P. Okay. So, and he's an excellent editor to work with. Um, His primary interest in you was that you were doing oils in in horses, equine art, or what was it? Um, Actually, the way that happened was I was subscribing to a newsletter for writers um, that listed freelance jobs. And one issue came and he had put a little ad in it saying he was looking for freelance writers. And I looked at the website. I found that they weren't doing much with colored pencils. And I wrote to him and said, Hey, you're not doing much with colored pencils. I'm, uh, I'm working in colored pencils. Would there be something I could do for you? What year was that? You 2012. Gotcha. Okay. And so then you started doing that um, and primarily writing about colored pencil then mm-hmm. not oils at all. Some oils um, while I was still doing them, I had was able to write a few tips and techniques and tricks of the trade sort of articles on oils, but not, not very many demos like I was doing with colored pencil. And you're still doing that today even, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so what is the difference from 2012 and 2020? What, what kind of, is there a response difference? Is there what an engagement difference um, now when you're writing those articles? I'm just wondering like what kind of reception are you having um, can you can you tell us anything like compare and contrast? I don't get any stat information from Empty Easel, but I do know that when he publishes his like let's say top ten or top twenty links for the year or whatever yeah. he does, there's a, usually something of mine in that list. And there have been a couple of lists when two or three of the articles that were the most popular had been mine. Nice. Well, okay. And I almost always it was colored pencil. Oh, go ahead. I do on occasion. Um, I've gotten a few emails from people who have seen those articles on Empty Easel, but most of the reader feedback goes directly to him. And if he's got a question specifically for me, he forwards it. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So, okay. Is he a, is he also an artist, I guess? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about your history and where you were getting started with colored pencil. And we're, we're just kind of right here at the beginning of sort of your dedication to the medium. So you put away the oils, right? You decided Mm -hmm. that colored pencil was for you and you started doing, I'm going to say probably more of your own personal work. You started creating these tutorials and writing about it. 
not teaching uh, per se in a uh, a way where you're teaching students um, in a classroom or workshop, but we're going to talk about something you've got going on very um, brand new or recent now. But what you started doing is you started writing about it and creating your own artwork. And were you taking commissions also during the past, what, five to seven years, something like yes. that? Okay. Yes. Talk to me more about that then. In fact, a lot of the, the on-sign tutorials that I did were segments from those portrait work, those portrait pieces, uh, because I didn't have the time to do separate things for my art. Yeah for tutorials and that's one thing I would say is that when I was doing a full-time job and portrait work the only art I did was portrait work there wasn't very much for fun stuff so I had already gotten into the mindset where this is not always for fun it's usually going to be work it's more of a work mindset um, which helps now but (laughs) right really didn't seem like much fun back then (laughs) (laughs) it felt like work right (laughs) it was work yeah just a different kind in a different place yeah. But yeah, and, and the more I blogged about what I was doing, the more questions I would get from somebody saying, well, that looks really good. How did you do that? And then I yeah. would write something on how I did whatever the question was. So those were kind of developing into more or less long form tutorials, pretty much. Yes. Yes. And I do have a couple, let's see, there are four actually on the, the blog right now that are full length. Um, if I published them, they probably would be 50 or 60 pages or maybe more. Yeah. And they're, they're, I used to have a couple of oil paintings up there, but I took them down. They're all now colored pencil. Okay. And okay, I tried so. to just, I tried, what I tried to do when I started doing these sorts of things was to explain to people what I was doing in a way that would have helped me to learn if I was where they are instead of where I am now. So what is that? What, what, if you put yourself, so talk to yourself um, several years ago when you just started out, what would you say to Carrie when she just started out in colored pencil? Is, is this the advice or is this a step-by-step sort of a thing? Because I'd have two different things that I would say to, a, if, if I came to myself now, when I was just getting started, I would say, what are the differences then in the advice and what is the step-by-step? Is the step-by-step saying, okay, just do this and then you'll learn from it just by doing it. And then I'll tell you why that was important later. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> or, I try to, yeah. I, it's probably some of my fiction writing coming through, but I try not to leave anybody hanging. Okay. If, if they, if somebody asked me how to draw a realistic tree, which was a question I got in December. And I did How do you answer that? Um, first of all, I say, look at the tree that you're drawing. And I always suggest that they either draw from life or that they have a good reference photo to draw from because you can draw from imagination and get a decent result, but you can't get a realistic result without something to look at. Right. I know I've tried. Exactly. (laughs) Very wise words there. Yes. So look at your tree, look at the big shape in it and draw the big shape first. And then draw all those smaller shapes inside that big shape, like the the canopy, the foliage is going to be some semi-circular or usually. The trunk is going to be like a column, usually. And then continue to start with, it's kind of like training a dog, start general and get specific. Yeah. Just keep drawing smaller and smaller shapes until you have a realistic rendering and do your values the same way. 
And the way I work usually is to start with a number under layer. So I'm doing all of my value work without having to worry about color. Yeah. Develop the values so that it looks realistic without color. And then glaze the colors over top of that. And if you're drawing a tree, don't just use green for heaven's sake. Greens are important, but you also need some reds and oranges to tone down the greens. Maybe some earth tones will do better, a little bit of yellow. Depending on the tree, you might need a little bit of green or, yeah, green, a little bit of blue or something else like that. Don't just stick with your greens. And, yeah, a light green, a medium green, and a dark green will give you nice values in a realist, sort of realistic-looking tree. But you need the other colors, too. <clears throat> so when I do a tutorial, right. I don't I – don't, I get more specific than that. I'll say, for example – if you're drawing the, the outer edge of a tree, you can do the little short strokes, but a wiggly or squiggly or sort of a random stroke actually works better for me. And the edges around the outside and the edges where light changes into dark or the edges between color shifts, use that squiggly stroke and do layer after layer of those squiggly strokes with maybe a blending layer here and there to smooth uh -huh. it out. May, in other words, fit the strokes you're using to the texture you're trying to draw. So you're teaching technique on a tutorial with giving advice on how to construct something uh, when someone's asking for the whole, you know, how do I do mm -hmm. this blanket statement? Yes. You're telling them how to approach it and go through even the in entire the, Even in the tutorials. And for the you're getting a little more granular, right, in the tutorial. Yes. Well, but I also add general tips. Right into the tutorial, like always start with light pressure whenever possible or as much as possible or as light as you can get because it's easier to fix a mistake if you make one at that stage. Yes, absolutely. And it, it's easier to not go too far right. if you're doing multiple layers at light pressure rather than doing one or two layers with medium, even just medium pressure makes a big and difference. And then burnishing all of a sudden, which is so popular, <laughs> I know. <laughs> just press real hard right at the beginning and make it where you can't correct anything ever, you know, if, yeah, without yeah. scarring up your paper. Depends on the paper, though, right? Um, so what paper? What paper and pencils? Uh, the papers I use most often are, well, I should say what I have in my drawer. My, the top three are Canson Mitance, the backside. Okay. Yeah. Rising Stonehenge, well, it used to be rising when I started using it. It's just Stonehenge <laughs> now. Um, yeah. Usually white. And I have, there's a place in Wichita where I can buy the original Rising Stonehenge in white. And there is a difference. Um, and the other one that I like a lot is sanded art paper. Wait a minute. Let's go back to that Stonehenge thing. You said there's a difference and you can <laughs> still get the Rising Stonehenge <laughs> paper. I, from this local supplier. Um, yeah. They bought a bunch of it when Stonehenge became popular with colored pencil artists. And they still have that? They still have it because nobody came and bought it. You know, my birthday is in uh, two days. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's in two days. Rush delivery, okay? <laughs> City Blueprint, Wichita, Kansas, they ship orders. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, and it's in a full sheet, and it's really nice paper. What are, uh, so what, what do you say? What do you think the differences are in, in that and the <clears throat> current batch that we're getting now? I'm not arguing with you. I think there is a difference, but I want to hear from your perspective. Well, it's been a while since I've used either one because I've been using other ones since then. But oh, I gotcha. would say the biggest difference is the feel. Yeah. The original Stonehenge 
was heavier, I would say slightly, yeah. um, and had a more velvety texture. Yeah. The one thing they would, I they would disagree with that. The marketing people over there now that I've spoken with. I know. They, they, they would say, also, no, it's the same stuff. <laughs> they also say that the full sheets are the same as the pads. Yeah, they not. do. They do. Or they weren't the last time I bought a pad. No, they're, they're not. And, and uh, <laughs> there's, something about, there, there's something about those full sheets, uh, the way they uh, used to be, at least. And I, I'm with you. I haven't bought like a full sheet in a while. But even with those full sheets used to, you could kind of bend it sometimes. And mm-hmm. even if you got a crease in it, it would come out. That little crease it would not stay there permanently. Um, yeah, but yeah. I'm not so sure you could do that now. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know either, and I haven't deliberately tried it because the other thing I found about Stonehenge when I started using it was that if I looked at it cross-eyed, it got a scratch. <laughs> it gets a little scary. dent in it that haunts yeah, you forever. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I was very careful not to bend it or roll it. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, there was a difference. I like the colors. Yeah, but the yeah old, I do too. The original white was there was something about using that that I just haven't been able to duplicate. The- it's it's so nice too. And when you when you first start that first layer, and the pencil meets the paper, and it just kind of it feels like it glides right. It on. just glides on there, and it it's just such a velvety feel. It's just so mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, I will share a tip with you. I did. I got some free samples of Stonehenge Aqua, one hundred forty pound hot press. And it's real close. It's real close to the original Stonehenge, and it's it's wonderful for dry work as well as wet. Uh, they sent me a um, a pad of the black aqua ah. that they that they had uh, recently. I didn't really, I didn't give it a fair shake, but I tested on it a little bit. But it it was so different. Um, but uh, that's interesting. So you're talking about just the white? Yeah, and I didn't know they had black. Yeah, they came out with a black. Uh, black watercolor paper that seems to me yeah. like it defeats the purpose <laughs> yeah i'm not sure what i'm doing with that i don't i don't know of anything <laughs> i can even do with it but anyway okay very very interesting so as long so as we're talking about paper i will yeah. also say i just bought my very first pad of clairefontaine pastel mat what do you think and i'm i've i'm doing a picture of a cat that we lost in august on it and it's I really like the way it feels. I'm just working on yeah. the background, so I'm doing a I'm doing a something most artists who do portraits on it don't do, and I'm doing a full background and a blurry one with trees and sky and stuff. Oh, and there you go. It's what not do you think quite of the, paper? the same. It's not the same as the U art, which is my favorite. Um, yeah. I don't get nearly as much pigment dust on it, which is right. good, but yeah. also bad because I dry blend with a bristle brush, and that pigment dust just goes right in there beautifully on the UART, and there's not much yeah. of it on the Claire Fontaine. I haven't got to the cat yet, so I'm not sure what I'll think of that, but I really like it for the background. Yeah, you know, using using the, um, a stiff <clears throat> bristled brush like that, something with a little bit of resistance um, on UART, I, I feel like that does work probably mm-hmm. the best, um, mm-hmm. using that dry and just moving that around, yeah. Um, it, well, for one, you're not, if you're using soft tools for like soft pastels and things like that, you, you tear those up whenever yeah. you're using UART. What grit level do you like on the UART paper? <laughs> well, the first time I bought any, I got a sample pack and they sent me 240. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 400, 600, 800. Right. That sounds about right. Yeah. I like the eight, the two finer yeah. ones. Um, yeah, I do I too. tried oil paintings on the 240 and it, Went on beautifully, but it never quite dried right. Ah. <laughs> I did a AC 
EO, you know what that is? And our trading card size on the tube right. with colored pencils. And it was a it was a nice painterly look, but I didn't care for it because it wasn't as detailed as I like. Now that was years ago. The little I have, tiny ATC size, the little mm -hmm, card. Wow. Mm -hmm. I have learned since then that I can get detail with it if I do more layers. So, and I do yeah. still have a piece of that left. So I'm going to give it a try again now and see what I can do with it. But the Clairefontaine pastel mat, um, is that a go for more I think work? so. I'm, what I want to do is a landscape a month for this year on that. The pad has 12 pieces of paper in it. So it's the perfect size for that. So yeah. I'm behind already, but <laughs> it, it's a little, and it's a little pricey to be honest. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's a little bit pricier than um, most papers uh, I would say, but not when you're comparing it to something that is uh, mounted on board or something that is yes. a little more substantial, you know, and not just uh, a paper. And so, I like, I like the heft of it. I like a heavier paper better than a lighter one. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. So yeah, that's not a drawback for me. Right. Me either. I, yeah. I would prefer something that's a little more. So I don't like something that I can roll up. I, I don't, don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> or fold up, throw away. <laughs> yeah. Wrinkle. Um, so what about the pencils? What pencils? The pencils, I still use Prismacolor, but my list is pared down to about, I'm going to say. 20 pencils. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, actually it's more like 50. Um, yeah. 50 or 60, I use the number ones and the number twos. Yeah. And I, whenever I can, I substitute the number twos for a, a polychromos in the similar color or something that I can make. All light, fast pencils, in other words. Yes. All the, the best light, yes. fast ones. Um, I right. like the way they work and they're available anywhere. Right. And right now they're not very expensive. So that's a plus. Um, a couple of years ago, my husband bought me a full set of Faber-Castell polychromos and I use those a lot too. And I usually use those first and then go over top of them with the Prismacolors. Yep. Works so it, well. They work very well together. That oh, way. yeah. Yeah. Especially on, you know, if you're using UART, I think that's a really good way to go too. Mm -hmm. um, using the polychromos first and then kind of sealing everything in with um, a wax-based, more wax-based yeah. pencil. I will say with the, the polychromos, I am confident buying open stock from anybody online. But when I buy a Prismacolor, I like to do that on location, either at Hobby Lobby or that little store I told you about that has the Stonehenge paper, yeah. where I can see the pencils, make sure the leads are centered, the pencils yes. aren't bowed, the wood's not cracked, any of that. I've yeah. not had nearly the problem with Prismacolors since I started doing that, but I'm hearing from a lot of other artists. So I highly recommend buying open stock and looking at the pencils when you can. Absolutely. No, that's that's great advice. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Don't go down to the gas station where they're all sealed up, you know, and buy them there or the grocery store. <laughs> can you buy pencils to go to at the gas store. station? <laughs> <laughs> you probably can, Prisman Color Premier. Uh, okay. So you could back when, uh, you know, the coloring books, the adult coloring books were uh, all the craze, right? Mm -hmm, Seems like mm -hmm. you can buy them yeah. anywhere, you know. Um, okay, very cool. So have you, do you venture out a little bit into other colored pencils? I mean, like maybe the Derwent drawing pencils or the Derwent light fast pencil that just came out. Do you use that one or have you tried it? I have a Chinese, Derwent drawing Chinese white. And aluminance white because I was told they were more or opaque than Prismacolor or any other color. And I yeah, do you believe that? I mean, after using it, what do no, you? No, I don't. Yeah, um, I don't. That has not been my experience, so right. I haven't used them very much. I would like to get of the full set of the Dermat Light Fast. 
The light yeah. fast are what are, is on yeah. my list, but I would also like the drawing because they, I think, would be perfect for landscape drawing and animal drawings because the colors are not bright. Oh, yeah. Those colors would be perfect for that. I just don't use, I looked at the colors in my pencil box and I don't, you know, the full set of polychromos looks beautiful in the box, all those colors. Yeah. I don't use most of them. They're bright. They're so they're, bright. They're bright and they're pretty, but I would get yeah. more enjoyment, just as much enjoyment out of hanging them on the Christmas tree <laughs> or making a mobile out of them. I just don't use them for colored pencil work. But the beautiful <laughs> colors, the earth tones, the greens and the blues and the browns like that. So the Derwent drawing would be is on my list. The Derwent drawing are some of my favorite pencils. Yeah, they're are they? They're all light fast too, and that's the nice thing about them. I didn't know that, so that they are, and I don't know why they don't market those more. They just, they just don't for whatever reason. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't is know. On my list, luminance is on my list. Luminance, um, okay. But I don't think I'd buy a full set of those either. Yeah. And one pencil that is is on my list that I don't hear very many people talking about at all is the Blick Studios, and the reason yeah. I. The reason I would try those is that they are manufactured by the same people who did Utrecht mm, okay. uh, premium pencils, and they have a really good reputation. I've got a full set of those. I do like them. They they feel really good. The performance of them is is uh, really good. I don't think of getting them out very often, though, for whatever reason. Uh, How are they, they for light favorite. fastness? Yeah, see, and that's the other problem with them. I don't know. I, I don't know about the light fastness of them. They don't so. put a chart in their box? No, there's no chart, unless they've changed that recently. Hmm. I was just at the Blick store today. Um, I, it's, a, it's a long way away from me, but, you know, there was another fellow colored pencil artist uh, going, and he and I hooked up and went up there um, together, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but, and I saw the Derwent, uh, Derwent, I saw the Blick pencils, and I looked at them, and I turned it over, and I was trying to see if there was any kind of new LightFast rating system anywhere. I don't see one. So huh. if you're listening today and you know of uh, some kind of LightFast ratings that is available, publicly available, for the Blick pencils, I would love to know about that. So, so would I. Yeah. Because if there I, isn't one, they're off my list. I'm yeah, exactly. So that's probably why I don't uh, pull them out all that often, but they are fun to use. They're they're really nice to use. Good. I don't like the Derwent Pro Color. I don't use those very often either, uh, other than the fact that they're extremely bright too. If I'm going to do a rainbow, I guess maybe I'd do those. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but they're also just not very light fast, and and we do know that about them because mm -hmm. they have you know the light fast ratings on them. So. Uh, the, yeah, the thing that, you know, you're talking about, uh, the, the Derwent drawing Chinese white, uh, it is a softer pencil. I'll put it yes, that way. Definitely. I, I think it gives the illusion a lot of times to some artists that it's more opaque only because it's a softer pencil. And so you get more coverage with it quicker because of that, I think. And I think that's kind of what happens in their mind. They're thinking this is, this is more opaque or this is wider than other pencils only because of that kind of thing. Now, but one caveat on the one caveat on the either one of those two white pencils, the Derwent Drawing Chinese White or the yeah. Luminance White, is that I tried them on. I think it was probably Bristol. Yeah. With our with pigment already on the paper, you're not going to add much of anything to Bristol if you've got a lot of pigment already on the paper. No, no. Right. So I might try them again on one of my 
scrap pieces of sanded art paper or the yeah. pastel mat and see if I get any better results with that. But my biggest problem with them was that they are soft and they are thicker. Yeah. The core is quite a bit thicker. So getting detail like whiskers, I think, is what I wanted right. to do with them. Not, not if you're not if you're wanting something small, and yeah. then the other thing is, um, I often if I'm using a harder penciled lead on top of that, which sometimes I I just need to do that, I'm rubbing off uh, the Derwent Chinese white um, mm -hmm. after I've put it on because it's so soft. Uh, yeah, I've put you know some rigorous testing down with all of my white pencils, and I've come away with the fact that. They all perform about the same, and it depends on the project and what you're doing at yeah. that moment, you know, what you're going to use. Um, and what you want you, to accomplish with it. And what too. you want to accomplish. You're not using one pencil and one pencil type or color in isolation. It all mm -hmm. has a context whenever you're using your pencils. Yes. So you're, Actually, when it comes to drawing white on top of something else, I have the best luck with the Prismacolor Verithin. Oh, I have to agree with you on that. I love the Verithins. They're, mm -hmm. they're so good. Harder pigment core, thinner. They're um, so they, good. They hold a point for so long, and they, you can actually yep. use a little bit of Scrivito with them. Yeah, they are the hardest uh, lead out there that, that I'm aware of. Um, I really like them, yeah. Mm -hmm. You just can't beat those. Um, and they'll hold, they'll hold that line if you want a definite sharp line they will hold that line even if you put something over it mm -hmm. uh, typically so I, I really like them for that yes. reason so most of the time then are, are so you're switching back and forth between those three papers typically i guess your sanded paper your um bristol and and the um what was the other one the metons paper uh not bristol so much um okay I have a pad, and I bought a pad for a project last, well, now it's been two years ago. It was at the end of 2018, but I've only used about three sheets out of it, so oh, gotcha. <laughs> I'm not using it very much, and I use it mostly for blog post illustrations and things like that, so it's a nice go-to paper if I want something quick and I don't want to have to mess with a lot of tooth. But the three go-to papers I use most are Stonehenge, Cansomitance, and uh, some form of sanded art paper. Usually reaching for Canson first because I, all of the colors are, I like the colors. But now you may start using the pastel mat, I'm guessing. Possibly. I'm going to try the pastel mat. If I get through this pad and I like the look of it for landscapes, because I've not seen anybody doing landscapes on it, all animals or people. Now, what about um, solvent? Do you use solvent? I haven't yet. Um, I did a dry blend with the background I'm working on and was not. Totally happy with that, but it may have been a matter of not having enough pigment on the paper. I don't know. So, well, Talk to me about layering. You mentioned um, quite a while ago now in our discussion that when you first started in colored pencil that you just hadn't gone far enough and you hadn't learned like some of the techniques with layering. What? Yeah, well, talk to me about that. Keep in mind that I came out of an oil painting background and you put, you did your oil painting, you painted your oils, your details on top of that, and you were done. There wasn't, it was, yes, translucent. Some of the colors were transparent. So there was a lot of that light going through business. But with colored pencils, they're, all the colors are translucent. Some they're all translucent. It's one of the properties of the medium. Yes. With adding something to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things we like and one of the things right. we hate. Um, so what I was doing when I started colored pencil was about the same type of work or the same degree of work. Let me put it that way. 
that I'd been doing with oil painting. And where an oil painting would be finished with that degree of work, a colored pencil. You just started or? It, well, You're about I would look at my finished pieces and think that looks like a kid did it. You know, my niece could have done that. So, yeah. And I didn't. This was before YouTube. This was before I didn't even have a website at this time. This was totally before Internet. So I didn't know that you could how far you could layer with them. So yeah. I was stopping too soon. Right, right. And that, I think, is the biggest thing that new people to colored pencils, that's the biggest mistake that they make is thinking they've got everything covered. Or, no, let me put, change that. They've got color on everything, so they're done. You're not. You're just getting started. Yeah. So, so uh, okay, so why – I mean, so there's different techniques and there's different looks, right? Mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. – so, I mean, there's room for um, someone to, you know, not go as far as maybe you prefer to go or I prefer yes. to go with uh, their coverage. And that's a look. That's a, that's a particular look. And it can be quite uh, convincing. And, um, but, but, when you're, but you're talking about maybe something that um, just looks like it's incomplete, like it, it just is flat or it doesn't have enough what not finished not polished um i always are you burnishing are you going so far in burnishing i don't remember if i was burnishing back then or not Um, okay probably not a lot yeah well when i say polish i always liked my oil paintings my portraits to look like you could look at that horse and smell it or it's real like you like it's real and like I've this actually, is a photo, nearly. Yes. Well, even better. I've, we yeah. had a little show at the church where we go, and one of the, one of the young men, he's a, married and has kids himself now. He was looking at one of my larger portraits, and he, Neil said, I didn't see him do this. He said he leaned in really close and looked at it. And he said it looked like real, like he could reach out and actually feel a horse in it. And that's, that was my goal. And I wasn't see, that's, thinking, that's an ultimate compliment, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh. I wasn't getting that with colored pencils, and I just didn't know why. Well, I know why now, but I didn't then. So and the primary then, reason is just keep layering more keep pencil. Layering, and unless you pencil use layers. heavy pressure too soon, you can and it, a too smooth of a paper that makes a difference too. Yeah, you can yeah. layer almost indefinitely. Yeah, and that's one of the things I like about the toothier papers, like the metons and the right. and the sanded papers, that they'll just take a lot of color. Yeah, so, even when you think you're done, or when a student thinks they're done, they can usually keep going. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and and if you're if you're not aware that that's possible, then yeah, you just stop too soon, and you're like, okay, I think I'm done, you know. And even now, I find myself doing that. I'll yeah. set something up and think it's done, and I'll I usually let it sit overnight or for the over the weekend or something, and go back and review it again, and I'll say, oh yeah. This there's too many paper holes showing through here is one of my keys, <laughs> or this isn't quite dark enough, or these lights aren't light enough because the darks aren't dark enough, and that sort of thing. And it's something I still have to work on. Oh yeah, that well we all do, an, right? Being an ex oil painter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, an ex oil painter. I love that identification. I shouldn't say ex. I still have my supplies, <laughs> and I am hoping, thinking someday I might go back to it. But right now, colored pencils is. More convenient, 
they're they're giving me the results I want. And if I need, if something happens and I need to put my stuff down and go away, I don't have to worry about the animals in the house walking through my palate, for example. Oh, gotcha. Or brushes getting all dried out and hard. So <laughs> right, right. All the cleaning, all the setup, all the tear down, all the <laughs> yeah, yeah. The prep. <laughs> we could do another show on that. <laughs> oh, we could. Yeah. So okay, that this is. So this is very, very good stuff. So I know that uh, you've got some exciting things about to happen here on the horizon. But before we talk about that, I, I just want to ask, so someone's listening today and they're, they're wanting to do this full-time carry. You're doing this full-time. What, so what, what is it that you think is the most important or is it all important? Should they blog and create art and do all the things? I mean, what, what should they focus on if maybe they just started out? They want to be a commission artist or they want to sell their own original artwork. What should they focus on? Maybe they've been drawing for a year, um, maybe not quite a year, maybe a couple of years though. What should they focus on? The thing that they should focus on first is the thing that they get the most enjoyment out of drawing. You're going to have to spend a whole lot of hours on every piece, depending on the degree of finish that you want. The more realistic, the more time it's going to take. You need to have enough investment in your subject to want to spend that time. Otherwise, when you hit the ugly phase or the SOS phase, starting over syndrome phase, (laughs) <laughs> you're going to quit. because if you I have, love that. Wait a minute. You can't just say that and walk <laughs> on by. Starting over syndrome. That is great. I love that. <laughs> Thank I you. I love that you got a label for that. Thank, thank Facebook for that. I was talking to somebody and it just popped out. So <laughs> Anyway, if you don't have the investment in your subject to start with, when you hit those roadblocks that come in every project, it's going to be way too easy to set it aside, even if you have a client waiting for it, and not finish it. So don't pay attention to market trends. Don't pay attention to what every other artist is doing or what they're working on or what tools they're using. Draw with what you want to draw, with what you have, and just get it done. The more you finish, the better you'll get. The better you get, the more you'll finish, and the more customers you'll get. That's the That's way tough I, advice. I know it is, but, but I am so thankful that when I started doing portraits, I didn't have all of the marketing advice out there. I just knew I wanted to draw horses and I wanted to sell portraits of horses to people who had horses. And that's what I did. And when I got started, yes, the first portrait I sold was to a school friend from high school. I saw the horse. She provided me the photographs, but I saw the horse. But after that, I was getting horse magazines and looking through the photograph, looking through the magazines, finding a picture I liked, a photograph, and they would have some gorgeous full-page ads, full color, writing to the owner saying, I'm an artist. I would like to paint your horse. I saw it here or there, wherever it was. And you're under no obligation to buy it, but I would like to paint it. Not everybody answered, and not everybody that did answer said yes. And not everybody that let me paint their horse actually bought it, but I did sell some. What did that feel like? This is a tough road, right? What did it feel like? 
I will be honest that I, at that point in my life, I was running to the mailbox. And when I got those letters back, I was leaping back to my mom, mom would, I'm still a teenager, remember, mom would always know when I got good news in the mail because I'd run and jump and yell. <laughs> oh, so I would give anything to capture that back again now, by the way. <laughs> but it just told me that I was on the right course. That this Even, was even when you got rejected? The, the good news, even if, it, if there was more no news or bad news, then good news. Good news was such that I didn't think about the good no news or the bad news. So that good it news was, just sort of overshadowed the bad mm-hmm. news. It eclipsed everything else. And yes. if I had, if, and what happened more than once was that uh, somebody I'd cold contacted like that would send me their own photographs to paint from. And I, there's nothing quite like opening an envelope and finding three or four even mediocre photographs to paint from when you're getting started as a portrait artist and then sending a, p- a picture back, even a bad photograph, which I was taking back then because I didn't mm-hmm. know any better. Yeah. And having the customer say, that's just like, that looks just like so-and-so or whatever. And right. sending a check in the mail, even a little one. And I wasn't charging very much back then. So yeah. Yeah. It was, it was all the world back then, John. Awesome. It was, it was, like I said, it was confirmation that I was doing the right, the thing I was meant to do. So, yeah. And, and so what about those low points though? Even, so starting on your own though, going through it, and I know it for, probably feels like we're starting over on the podcast, but we're not. Um, <laughs> so in those low points though, when, when the sales dry up, when you're not making any sales, you're not getting new commissions, you're not pushing work. What, what keeps you going? What do you do during that time? Well, that's where writing comes in for me. Yeah. <laughs> I've always had something else that I could do, uh, whether it was two or three paintings in progress at a time or a couple of paintings and a novel or just journaling. You mentioned journaling earlier. Um, I process my thoughts by writing. And a lot of the times when I was down with art, I sat down and write down what I thought. It was almost like, What's the, it was cathartic. Yeah. And once it was on paper, yeah, sometimes there was still an echo in my head, but it wasn't quite as big, let's say, or And things didn't get as dark as you thought, right? Yes. And the other advantage to that, you mentioned dark and slow and down and depressed and all of that. When I'd get past that point and I hit the next one and I'd go back and read those old journal entries and say, well, yeah, here's where I was in 1999, let's say. Right. I'm in the same place now in 2009, but I got over it. It, it passed in 1999, so it'll pass this time, too. Gives you hope. Yeah. And there's people who don't journal don't understand that. Right. But it, there is value in that. Yeah. And at least for me, there is personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and Neil will tell you that I'm I'm not ordinarily an exuberant person, and it's really easy to get down on a project or on a, the course of meaning the course of things are taking the path that they're taking. Yeah, yeah. Or on my career choice in general. Mm-hmm. But if you have some way to express that even if it's just to yourself in private in a journal entry, that's, that's right. extremely, extremely helpful. 
And I know there are artists who paint for the same reason. Maybe they're portrait artists, but they do their own work as a sort of purging exercise, yeah. I guess you'd call it. Yeah. There's value in that. And if that's what an artist needs to do to keep going, then they need to do that. Mm-hmm. They need to not stifle that part, which I think I did for a lot when I was working a full-time job and trying to get portrait business going. Did you because ever think of quitting? I did quit for a couple of years. Did you? A couple of times, yeah. Um, <laughs> did you not blog either during that time? That was before I started blogging. Before you blogged. So you quit painting. I quit painting, and I will tell you that I quit paintings to do Amway for a couple of years with the thought that I would go diamond and not have to worry about a job, and then I could just paint. Well, as it turned out, I did Amway for a social exercise, and it's good for that. I got out, and I met people. I'm not... I'm an introvert. As Met most some of friends. Us there you go. So maybe that helped friends. in some ways with just opening up um, social I, connections and things like that. I think it probably did. As I sit here now and think back on it, though, I think the biggest benefit to me for those Amway years was the idea that if you have a dream and you are willing to work for it, it, you, it can happen. Yeah, I'm not doing multi-level gotcha. marketing, but I'm I'm. I never expected the blog to do what it's doing today. And I never expected to be doing my own tutorials and sell them. And I never expected to have a magazine. Oh, let's talk about that. Talk talk about this magazine. This, this is exciting. So tell me about this. Um, I've been looking for ways to diversify my income base, which is to say, bring in more, generate income from different avenues, which is important for every studio. It's important for every (laughs) artist to think like that. And it amazes yes. me that some think that they're only going to use, put all their eggs in one basket and like, yes. oh, no, 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 listen here. <laughs> it doesn't work too well. So, yeah. so I, was, I was doing some thinking, oh gosh, when was it, October or November? You remember getting the email when I first mentioned I was thinking about it. It was this yes. fall. And I, at that point, I was thinking about doing an expanded newsletter that I could sell for a dollar or something. And then at some point, I... Realize, no, that's not going to cut it because who's going to want an expanded newsletter? Why not? If you're going to do it, do a magazine or don't do it. Yeah. I thought, well, okay. Peggy Osborne had been doing guest posts on the blog once a month for oh, four or five months. And I said, I'm thinking about doing a magazine. Would you like to do a tutorial as a featured artist? Very cool. And I would like to set it up so that the featured artist also does an interview so that readers can meet the artist. Yeah. And see how they work. Because that, was, that has always interested me. I, not only do I want to see how an artist puts color on the paper and right. what, brush, what pencil strokes they use and what paper they use and all that other really good information, I want to know how they work. Do they have a full-time studio? Do they have a dedicated studio space? Yeah. Do they work on a couch? How do they store their pencils? Um, <laughs> what do pencils they work do they- in bed? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all of that sort of stuff. So Yes, we want to know that stuff, you know? It's when the if, police officer says, move along here, nothing to see. Like, are you kidding me? There's all kinds of stuff to see. I'm not moving along. <laughs> like, that's I've exactly always thought that was funny to say to make me want to see. Yes, <laughs> yes. It. So if I'm going to do a magazine, I want to do the kind of magazine that I would like to read. And sure. So that's how that started. And the first issue was published on Tuesday. As we record this, January 7th, and Peggy did a fantastic tutorial of a black horse, one of my favorite subjects, and she did an excellent interview with just answering my questions, and 
the only other feature I have is one of my other readers had emailed me at about the time I was putting this thing together and had a drawing that she'd finished, but she, and she liked it, but she thought it could be a little bit better. So she asked me what to do. I gave her some tips and she did them. And then she sent me back the picture of it. And it made a big difference. As you can see, if you've seen that column. Very cool. Yeah. So I asked her if I could use it in the magazine and she said, yes, well, there's feature number three, the before and after clinic. Um, you always see crits, but never a before and after sort of a thing. So right. I'm hoping to do one of those every month. Okay. So overall, what what are you wanting to accomplish uh, with the magazine other than, you know, allowing people to get to know certain artists better and then helping to see uh, before it's this polished look? Mm-hmm. What else are you wanting to really accomplish? Um. I think the thing that makes this magazine unique and that makes my blog unique is that I'm trying to help bridge the gap between the trial and error stuff that I went through Uh. so that other artists can skip a lot of that stuff. If you want to put it that way, Um, we all have to make mistakes and mistakes are not bad things. They're good things. We learn a lot more from our mistakes, or at least I do than I do from the successes. What I hope to accomplish with every blog post I write and with this magazine in particular is to give people, artists, the tools that they need to advance their own skills without having to do all the trial and or a lot of the trial and error stuff that I did. Oh, Um, that's great. The reason that I want to do interviews is to encourage people, our beginning artists especially, with the idea that they don't have to have the best of everything right. or full sets or yeah. all, they don't have to have a dedicated studio space or even a dedicated space of any kind where they work. If they have the interest in drawing, that's enough. Um, I love that so much. I mean, so often I think what happens is we uh, sometimes we'll put someone on a pet. We'll put this artist on a pedestal and we'll think that they never make a mistake. Everything they turn out is flawless. It sells for thousands of dollars, if not a million. And, and then they, ne- you know, they're just, they're just these gods and they're yes. untouchable. And you, you cannot look behind the curtain. Oz is at work over here. You know, and you don't get to see it until it's this finished product, you know. But I love that. Just peering, you know, just tearing back that curtain just a little bit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pulling it back, letting us see over the shoulder of the artist a little bit and what they're doing right now. Uh, and see the ugly part of some of that, yes, the underbelly of creating art. I've, I've not done a demographics research enough on my blog to know who is reading. But I do know that most of them are beginners. Yeah, Most of them are people who are either coming back to art after a career or starting art brand new after a career. Right. And that they know they have an interest in colored pencil, but that in a lot of cases, that's all they know. And a lot of the comments that I get, especially the ones that are emailed to me, not left in comments on blog posts are, I so appreciate the fact that you tell us where you go wrong. Yeah. That you show us your mistakes, that you tell us how you got past the mistake or that you fixed the mistake and, and that sort of thing. And, 
a lot of the things that I wonder about publishing, like it's, I want people to look at me the same way I look at other artists, like you just described, like no, everything turns out like a masterpiece and there's no <laughs> mistake. There's no struggle. It's just the pencil right. and the paper and a masterpiece comes out. Well, right, no, right. <laughs> that doesn't happen for me. No, and it doesn't me. happen for very many people. It doesn't happen for anyone really. But when I stop and when I stop and remember who I'm writing for, yeah, and who I want to reach out to, and the, and why I'm trying to reach out to them, right? That's and when I publish that stuff, when I actually hit the publish button, those are the posts that get the best traffic and the most comments because they connect with where they connect with where I was 20 years ago and where they are right now and where they are right now. Absolutely. So. And I know I have it. the same view that you do with with regard to failures. I mean, I don't I don't see them as bad either. Now, when you work a corporate job, um, you know, or you're working at a lot of different businesses. Uh, the my context is I worked a, a corporate day job. Yeah, failures were looked at as awful. You know, I remember I made yeah, well, a, they were failures. Man. They were they were failures. I, I made a, a mistake that led to a five around a five million. I think it was five million five million dollar mistake. Um, something like that, you know, it looks real big and scary and all that, but it's all in, it, it's in the insurance um, industry um, in IT support. But the thing is, it's, it's just funny because um, in real life and especially with an art career, you are, you're a business owner and uh -huh. if you don't make mistakes, then you're not doing it right. I mean, you're really not. <laughs> You're really not. And they're not mistakes. They're learning opportunities to mm -hmm. get you from one step to the next. And if you don't venture out and you don't get outside of your comfort zone, you're never going to find out what's possible. You have that, to. That's exactly right. Uncomfortability. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. It's kind of like gardening. If you pull up the tomato plant the first time you weed, you learn not to do that again. <laughs> you learn to tell <laughs> oh, the difference between, a it, between the tomato plant and the weed. And yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I can partly understand it, but I think a lot of people have this sort of mystical view of art. Yes. That it's all inspired and there's no work. And I know after having done it for so many years, right. inspiration is good. Motivation is better. Yeah. And work is best of all. Yes. I love you just that. Have, you just have to do it and not be afraid to make mistakes. And, I, and I'm pointing fingers at me as much as I am suggesting it to anybody else who might be listening because I still, I still have that perfection thing. Every piece I start is going to be a masterpiece. And so far, very few of them have lived up to it, but <laughs> clients like them. So, <laughs> <laughs> But showing up day after day after day is going to increase those chances, right? Yes. You're rolling yes. the dice a little bit more. Mm -hmm. There's another student that reads your blog, I'm sure, um, that is in my audience and they're listening and they're disillusioned with everything. They've been working at Colored Pencil for years and they've heard all the stuff. They've heard layering. They've heard <laughs> how to get through the ugly stage. They've heard it all. The only problem is they don't do it. And they're so, you know, and they, they sit there. They're more of a critic and a critique of everyone else. And they, they know all the things to do but they have trouble implementing. They have trouble just showing up and doing the work. They want to. I, I believe most of them want to, but they have trouble doing that. And would, would you say that that's just, uh, to me, I, 
it's an internal motivation thing. Just, I, I don't know how to, um, what would you say to help someone like that? What, what, what's the thing that could help turn the corner? Well, disillusionment is a big thing, especially yeah. if you're not able to finish things you start or you don't have the energy to start anything. What I tell people when they approach me with that sort of a problem is what works for me. Um, the first thing I started doing was stop doing big things and start doing small pieces. Yeah. Um, the biggest colored pencil I've ever done was on a full sheet of mat board. So I'm guessing it was probably 25 by 30. Started yeah. over two or three times. It turned out well. That is pretty large. Though. But part of the process of learning colored pencils because they're so naturally slow is finishing stuff and the best way to finish things is to do small things so Hold up that muscle right yes um i my favorite size right now is somewhere between six by eight and eight by ten um, mm. the size of my scanner bed basically since i uh -huh. scan works in progress the reason i suggest people to do small is that for me anyway, I'm freer to experiment and make mistakes on something that I, that's little Yes. because it's not quote unquote real art. Yeah. It's quicker to finish if it goes well. And I, I don't know. I'm guess I am just freer to experiment and try new things with little pieces than big pieces. That Do you start that over if it doesn't go well? It depends on what it is. If it's a piece I want for an exhibit or if it's a portrait, yeah. if it doesn't go well, I will start over. Yeah. Um, the but you're not I, just beating yourself up in that SOS. Oh, thing. I do that too. <laughs> I do that too. So I have you to have decide. You have to talk yourself off the ledge. And <laughs> yes. They come back I, and say, okay. I have to decide. The last portrait I did, for example, I started that thing three times before I finally got it right. Oh. <laughs> and I still don't really like it, but that's a whole <laughs> Because um, I don't like most of what I do oh. because of that initial ideal. Um, yeah, yeah. But when I get to that point, when I get to SOS, yeah, I have to stop and think, do I want to start it over because I'm tired of it? Or is there an, a problem with it? And this portrait, when I got to looking at it and I compared it to the line drawing in the reference photo, it was a dog portrait and the eyes were just, one of the eyes was good. One of them was mm. totally wrong. Wrong size, wrong place, wrong mm. angle. Well, that's definitely a starting over sort of yeah. thing. If I'm just tired of it, I turn it face to the wall and leave it for a day or two. Um, mm. What I found is when I go back, the problem either has solved itself or is nowhere near as intimidating as it was and I keep going. So that's one thing. I That's you have the best way I have of dealing with that. Yes. Yeah, that's good. You, you do. You look at it with a, a set of, of new eyes and you're like, mm -hmm. wow, I didn't see that before. Yep. That's very good advice. So you've so, got something. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, as far as the disillusioned artist goes, and if they're not doing anything at all. What well, they I feel like they're not improving. They feel like they've tried all these things. I'm not oh, improving. and they're not getting better. I feel like I'm not getting better. And they look back at their art and they're like, I've not seen any real progress. I, I don't know why everyone else's art looks good. Mine doesn't. <laughs> that's, 
<laughs> I've are heard this sure, stuff. Are you sure that your student didn't send me a question in December? Because I got one that was really close <laughs> to that. <laughs> I've heard these things repeatedly. Yes, me too. Uh, the, yeah. thing, the, the thing I would say to that is to just keep after it. I went for a long time um, feeling like my art was good, but not great. It wasn't improving significantly. And then I, and you're going to laugh at this, but I don't remember what piece it was. I did a piece and I said to Neil, I've turned a corner with this. And I had turned a corner. It was a landscape, I think. Um, That's very fascinating. How did, and it, how did it happen? I don't know. That's just the thing. I, I was doing. Okay. I was doing all the same things. I did layering. I did the umber underpainting. I did everything I tell students to do: match strokes to textures and keep layering. And don't you feel like sometimes, though, that it's our our perception and our awareness of reality and the world and what we're actually seeing? starts to change and then it influences yes. our artwork. I, re I really do. I, I, there's a good deal of that too. Yeah. Um, I harp on that a lot. I harp on being able to see things and looking at a reference and being able to identify certain things. And then all of a sudden you feel like, wow, I, I'm all of a sudden able to execute where before I couldn't, I couldn't do that because I couldn't see it. Yes. Um, and I've seen that happen with students. I'm sure you have. Yes, I have, and I've seen it with my own artwork where I've yeah, done, I have have to, it seems to me like I learn through repetition. And it yeah. takes a certain number of repetitions before something finally clicks. Oh, I think that's so true. I, th I think mm -hmm. we're all like that. And, and that's one of the things, that if I could point to something and say, that student has that thing and that's going to help them. That is one of the things. The one that is prolific and is putting out more, now not just sloppy work, but putting out no, focused good, work. Yes. Yeah, is going to improve quicker. What I would suggest to your student, the one who says that they don't improve, is to compare the last piece they did with the first piece they did. Yes. Um, that's why it's Absolutely. so important to either keep everything you do or if you sell it to take pictures of everything you do, um, because seeing the, the first and the last side by side is, and maybe the change won't be a big one. Maybe it'll just be a small one. But if you see any change at all, that's an improvement. Exactly. And learn so, why it improved. Look at it. Yes. Do some critiquing of your own work. And you so, do need to be able to, to look at your work and say, well, yeah, seeing the good parts is good, but you also need to be able to look at it and say, well, you know, this dark, this shadow could be a lot darker and it wouldn't hurt it at all. It would make it better. Right. You need to be able to look at those things and not only see what's wrong, but know, stop and think about how to make it right. Absolutely. Don't, don't, Chris and don't just immediately bad. ask for, for help with something like that. Sometimes I, I think as artists, um, and, and I, I view all of my students as artists, they're artists in their own right. I think sometimes they don't just trust their own intuition and gut mm -hmm. um, and they, and they start relying on the mass of people uh, they throw out maybe on Facebook or somewhere. Can yeah. I have a critique of this and every, everyone and their dog jumps in and gives them con <laughs> advice. contradictory over. information that is not a way to grow. I, I don't believe that. <laughs> no. um, yeah. But I, you see, you see that as well. I've seen that so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time you are scanning your work. That's what 
you get. I scan almost result. everything. Yep. Yeah, you prefer that as to as opposed to taking a photograph well, of it or, or. I don't have good enough camera equipment to get consistent shots. Well, I prefer scanning mine anyway. You get a consistent shot every mm -hmm. time. A good scanner, yeah. It's square. Absolutely. It's flat. It's um, flat. It's going to be in the correct rotation each time. Yeah. Yeah. And quite frankly, if I keep scans of everything day yeah. by day, sometimes more than, than one per day, yeah. if I do make a mistake, I can go back to those scans and say, well, it right. was good here and here it's not. What did I do between A and B to make B? Right. And can I undo it or can I cover it over? Sure. So... Yeah, I, I prefer to scan, um, and that's also why I prefer to work small. So they sort of work together that way. Yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. All right. Well, we're nearly to the close of our interview today. I'm so glad that uh, you were able to um, listen in as Carrie and I talked. I, I felt like we just kind of caught up here. I mean, this was so much fun. But we're not done. Carrie has something that she is, is doing. It's brand new. This is something that she's not done before. Uh, go ahead and tell everybody about it, Carrie. I am going to have a one-day colored pencil workshop for beginners at the Carriage Factory Art Gallery in Newton, Kansas. Um, Very cool. Congratulations. Scared to death, oh. um, but also eager Great. to do it. I'm, I can talk to anybody online or by email or anything, and I have no trouble helping them with that. But standing up in front of 10 or 20 students and trying to give the same information, can you say my <laughs> <I> mouth? <laughs> I still remember my first color pencil workshop. This is the funny thing to me is it was free, and there were over <laughs> 35 students or something. It was at a library, and I thought, I can handle huh. that. I'll do it at a library. It's going to be free. <laughs> it was free for them. I'll put it that way. They, they paid me, but it was, it was free for them. And, um, so no pressure, you know, I wasn't taking money from anybody, you know what I mean? <laughs> I was uh, from the library, but not from any uh, patron. Okay. Yeah. No students. But yeah. I was still, I was so, I was so nervous. It was, it well, was you know, I, Neil used to play in a community band and I went to the rehearsals and worked on artwork during the rehearsals. It was great working to live music. So but he's an artist. Okay. Didn't know a this. musical artist. A musical artist. Yeah. And an engineering artist. Um, what's, he, what's, he, what's he play? I'm just curious. Tuba and trombone. Nice. Big monster tuba. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I, after concerts, I would say to him, I am so glad that I'm an artist because I don't have to perform in front of everybody. <laughs> well, now I'm going to be performing in front of everybody. So <laughs> stage fright. Can you say stage fright? <laughs> But uh, I'm I'm hoping awesome. I'm hoping that this turns into something regular. I don't know if the gallery will want to host me oh, on a quarterly oh, I, basis. I hope so. But. I I have every confidence that it will. This this is great. So if you live anywhere within the vicinity of uh, this location, where is that again? That you're going Newton, to Kansas, thirty five awesome. miles from Wichita, Kansas. All right. So I would say even with your if you're within a few hours from there. I would go ahead and sign up if it's not uh, booked up already. I don't think uh, it is. I think there are still seats available. By the time this comes out, I'm not sure about that. So may, yeah, that's true. May, may come out after you've done this. So it really, we're gonna, you're going to have to check back in. We're going to have to get an update uh, from you. And I would love that uh, if you could give us an update. And we'll probably just publish that inside the monthly sharpener uh, to let people know how that went. That would be so awesome. I'd I be tell happy you. to do that. 
how many students um, of mine are interested in teaching also and have hmm. there's been several who have gone on to teach so that's Good. that is Excellent. exciting congratulations that's so exciting thank you I'm sure it'll go very well so what what are what is it you're going to teach then in particular um, well it's it's designed for beginners since most yep. of my readership is beginner or newbie um, I'm gonna I'm planning to cover and what we actually cover may be different I'm planning to cover grades of pencils and some of the different brands out there types of papers and I'm hoping to put together some scraps from my stash so they can see different things all of the basics of colored pencils like layering and pencil right. strokes and that sort of thing values dark enough lights light enough um, right I was asked by the, the director at the gallery if People could bring their own projects, and I said, yeah, sure. I hadn't planned on that, but if they bring reference photos, we can talk about what makes a good reference photo and what doesn't. Yeah. Do some exercises so they can see how pencils go on paper. And Are you going to have layer. any kind of small one-study project or anything that you might introduce? I'm, I'm planning to do something like that. I haven't found the right subject yet, but I was thinking about yeah. maybe a fold of drapery or a a tulip or something that's got fairly flat planes, but some curvature yeah. and things like that. What's the date again? That, uh, that February will be? the 8th. The 8th. Okay. Yeah. So I will tell Saturday. you, um, uh, in my, my own experience, but um, just for whatever it's worth, when I have allowed students, uh, even beginners, to just bring their own thing, and it, and it can go well, but if the, you've got one or two that's doing their own thing and you have a study, a project that you're working together with uh, all the other students in the class, mm -hmm. that can kind of get chaotic because then you've got I've sideways attention. That. That, yeah, yeah, that can go kind of kind of sideways a little bit because um, they're working on their own thing. If you structure it, though, where it's like an open kind of, uh, you know, subject drawing class and you're mm -hmm. technique-based whatever only and you give some guidelines like on, you know, what they uh, should bring to class and work on, that goes fairly well if it's a small uh, set of students, you know, because okay. then you kind of float around the room a little bit after you've talked about all these different techniques that they can employ. Well, my thought was on, on inviting students to bring their own projects if they've got any is that yeah. if they can see how the techniques work on something they want to draw, they're right. more likely to put the work into it than if they were drawing an egg or Absolutely. just a ball or whatever. So right. Something they're excited about, yeah. Yes, and there's I'm I haven't really done a lot of promoting yet. The gallery is promoting it. They've got a page up and all of that, um, nice. and I can provide a link to that if if the podcast yeah, airs before. Yes, but uh, we I'm, will get this out before before the <laughs> the me. show. So that would be great if you could do that. I certainly can do that. That would be awesome. Well, Tell them they need a waiting list then. That's what I would tell them. Say, so be sure you get a waiting list ready for me because I'm going to fill that sucker. <laughs> good. Yes, I will. I think and a waiting will. list is a good idea. I hadn't given any thought to class yeah. maximum. Yeah, <laughs> so. I th I, I'm sure you probably will have a waiting list. That is awesome. This is so cool because are you going to put it out to your email list too? I would just say this is my first, my inaugural um, I'm going launch. To, into, um, yeah. I don't – I'm trying to think what I've put in the email list for Saturday. Probably will promote the magazine, but more than the workshop. But yeah, I'm going to definitely do something on it in the newsletter, and I will be publishing a blog post about it next week. Very cool. Yeah, so, you'll fill that, I'm sure. That's awesome. The only reason why I would think you wouldn't fill it is if people didn't see it in time or something. 
or um, if we have a blizzard. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it there is February go. and it's Kansas, so who knows? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right. So this has been so much fun, Carrie. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being just so open and, and vulnerable. I really appreciate all the time that you put into this interview too. I know this is, uh, it, it's taken up a lot of your evening and I really appreciate it so much. You're welcome. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. The time flew by. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So we'll definitely have to get you back on and hear an update, uh, with how that show went. I'm sure it's going to be, uh, just great. So. I'd be more than happy to do that. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. This is the Colored Pencil Podcast. This is a weekly show. If you've not done this already, consider leaving me a rating and or a review over in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com. 